I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening and welcome to the first Outbeat News in Depth show of 2017. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, this week we got a new president. And while many are still in a state of disbelief, there's hardly time to waste talking about how it all happened. It's done now. And we need to focus on how best to protect the many gains our community realized over the last eight years. Tonight we begin by talking with freshman California State Senator Scott Weiner. Scott was elected to replace Mark Leno, who termed out last fall. And then the executive editor of The Advocate magazine, Neil Broverman, stops by to talk about the election and how to sort out fact from fiction in the media. In the second half of our hour, we'll check in with Davey Wavy about his new sexual health video series. All of this is coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, January 22nd, 2017. I have found Outbeat Radio News. Your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. A 32-year-old supermarket manager from a town near Sao Paulo, Brazil, confessed to stabbing her 17-year-old gay son, Itaberli Lonzo, to death last week. The victim was found a week later, burned and buried in a cane field. The mother, Tatiana Lonzo Pieria, who's 32 years old, claims that Lonzo used drugs and brought men home. The teen's uncle, Dario Rosa, denies that, saying that Lonzo was hardworking and educated. Rosa believes that Lonzo Pieria killed her son because he was gay and says that this is the first time she accused her son of using drugs. For several days, the mother told her family that Lonzo had run away to live with extended family, but nine days later filed a missing persons report. The body had been found two days before she filed that report and was only identified because of a bracelet that appeared in several photos of Lonzo on social media. In her original confession, the mother said that she had gotten into a fight with her son back on December 27th and he went to live with his uncle and grandmother. He came back to her house on the 29th and they had again gotten into an argument where he threatened her, her husband, and their three-year-old son, so she stabbed Lonzo to death in self-defense. She claimed that she then woke her husband and that they wrapped the body in a duvet and buried it. Her story changed, though, when it was found that in December, Lonzo reported his mother to local authorities. He also posted a message on Facebook on December 26th accusing his mother of hiring several boys to beat him. Last Friday, two teens were arrested in connection with Lonzo's murder. They confessed that they were hired to attack Lonzo, but they claimed that it was the mother who stabbed her son to death in the end. She says she hired them to give her son, quote, a lesson, and that when she saw her son dying, she stabbed him because she thought it was a better way to end his life. And in Canada this week, Pride Toronto says it has no plans to backtrack on a vote it took last Tuesday that would ban all police participation from this year's parade at the request of Black Lives Matter. Pride Toronto board member Sarah Cooper told City News this last Wednesday, quote, what we don't want to see and what the community made very clear last night was no advertent police presence during the Pride Parade, and it's our responsibility to adhere to that, end quote. Cooper added that queer police officers and trans police officers can march under the banner of community groups, but won't be able to have their own floats or contingents at the annual event. Toronto's police department has traditionally marched in uniform with a large contingent of out LGBT officers and allies. During the World Pride celebration in 2014, the police department built a float that featured a DJ. The police chief hosts an annual reception for LGBT community leaders and provides a full-time LGBT liaison for the community. 
Toronto police spokesman Mark Pugosh admitted to being confused by what the vote really meant, but he says there's no confusion when it comes to how police will handle their duties. He said, quote, our job is to protect public safety, irrespective of the whims of a particular organization. It's our most important job, and we are never going to compromise that. But we think inclusion is much more important than exclusion, end quote. Social media exploded with criticism of Pride Toronto, with condemnation of the overtly discriminatory action taken by the board. Mayor John Tory expressed his disappointment with the vote on Wednesday and said he's hopeful for a compromise. And here in San Francisco, the police department swore in Megan Rower, cracking yet another ceiling for veteran San Francisco ministers who prefer to use the pronoun they. In 2006, Rower became the first transgender Lutheran pastor ordained in the United States. So becoming the San Francisco Police Department's first ever LGBTQ chaplain was just something else to cross off the list. Rower said, quote, as a transgender pastor, I know how lonely and how hard it can be as a professional in a community that might not always see transgender individuals or lesbian, bisexual or gay individuals in that role. Rower was approached to become a chaplain by Tenderloin Station Captain Teresa Ewins, who thought Rower would be a good fit for the department with growing LGBT ranks. Police chaplains generally visit the scenes of shootings and other tragedies, and they serve mainly as an ear for police ranks who need counseling or someone to talk to. Ewan said Rower's easygoing style will make it more comfortable for officers to seek out her help. And her locally positive images and a number of related LGBT organizations are presenting the first annual LGBTQI plus Family Formation Symposium. This is a free child-friendly conference for existing North Bay LGBTQI families and parents-to-be. The six workshops are scheduled throughout the day, include special considerations for queer family building, legal issues, a panel discussion, and a screening of the film Womb of Their Own. The LGBTQI plus Family Formation Symposium begins at 10.30 a.m. with lunch at 12.45 p.m. The symposium and lunch are both free. This event will take place on Sunday, January 29th at the Social Advocates for Youth, 2447 Summerfield Road in Santa Rosa. You can learn more and register at eventbrite.com. Just search for North Bay Family Formation LGBTQI Symposium. And last but not least, be sure to join your entire Outbeat Radio team for a roundtable discussion about the new president, his administration, and what it means for LGBT civil rights and our community at large. We'll be discussing how to sort out through fictional news and what we should all be doing to combat any threat to our civil rights from the new administration. That's on this month's Outbeat Extra, which airs next Sunday night, the 29th of January at 8 p.m., right here on Radio 91. For a complete calendar of LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to our community calendar at GaySonoma.com and stay connected with important LGBT news we're following at OutbeatNews.com. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Our first guest tonight is newly elected California State Senator Scott Weiner. Scott is an out gay man who's been very engaged and highly successful as a member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. This fall, he was elected to the state Senate to replace termed out Senator Mark Leno. Senator Weiner, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, you were a very prolific legislator while you were on the Board of Supervisors for the city of San Francisco, and I read one of the laws that went into effect January 1st that you're most proud of is the parental leave law. Uh, Tell us about that. Uh, 
Yeah, so we, um, in the United States, we are very, very far behind in terms of paid family leave. People, for many different reasons, need to take time away from work for family obligations, whether it's uh, they're having a baby and uh, wanting to spend time bonding with a newborn or taking care of a sick family member. Uh, and the U.S. is very far behind, uh, and we, we, we want to catch up, uh, but there's a lot of work to do. The law that I uh, authored in San Francisco was specific to paid parental leave, and it uh, guarantees that a new, a new parent, whether uh, a natural birth or a adoption, um, will be able to have six fully paid weeks of leave to bond with the child, and that applies to both parents. Uh, so it was a major step forward. Um, previously, uh, the state, um, uh, well, the state pays about 55% of someone's salary for a six-week period, which is better than almost every other state. Uh, but for many people, uh, taking a 45% pay cut isn't tenable. And so people have to choose between bonding with a new child um, or uh, putting food on the table. And so uh, the legislation I authored requires the employer to put in the other 45%. How great is that? Well, I know affordable housing has also been a major concern of yours. You've witnessed rents and real estate prices skyrocket, particularly in places like the Castro. And as a resident of the Castro, what changes have you seen there? How has the increase in rent and real estate impacted the community? Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've been a resident of the Castro. Uh, it'll be 20 years in August. This is, uh, Castro is my home. It's my neighborhood. I care deeply uh, about it. We're in a deep housing crisis in San Francisco, but really beyond. And, and that's why at the state level, I'm focusing on housing. And my first bill was to try to make it easier to create housing for people of all income levels. Um, it is uh, a, a crisis that's really threatening the fabric of our community. Uh, in the Castro, we have seen an explosion of housing costs. When I moved to the Castro in 1997 as a 27-year-old uh, uh, gay gay guy, um, young guy coming to make a life for myself, uh, I was able to rent a one-bedroom apartment with a view in the heart of the Castro for 1050 a month. <laughs> at, at the time, I couldn't believe how much I was paying. It was twice what I had been paying in Philadelphia, where I had lived previously. Um, and that would probably be a $3,000 or $3,500 apartment today. Sure. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be able to afford to move in the Castro today. So we've definitely seen changes. Um, it is uh, just increasingly hard for people to move into the neighborhood uh, if they are not uh, making a really good income. Uh, and, and that's why we're working so hard to try to um, create new housing options in the Castro. I authored legislation that we ultimately took citywide, but we started in the Castro uh, to allow people to put new in-law units uh, into their uh, buildings. Uh, the neighborhood is really strong in many ways. There is still a huge LGBT community there. Nightlife in the Castro is better now than it's been in years. Uh, we have many new businesses opening, new restaurants opening, new bars opening. Uh, so there's a lot of good happening in the neighborhood despite the challenges. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I, I get down there probably once a month or so. And, and certainly the sidewalk expansion project was a foundation for that you know, revitalization or expansion, if you want to call it that. But, but you're right. There's some really great new restaurants. And I will say thank you for uh, um, the neglect to mention the sidewalk widening. I, uh, it's one of the, uh, my uh, proudest achievements in terms of what we were able to do as a community during my term on the Board of Supervisors. Uh, the, the Castro Street sidewalks were 
way, way too narrow for such a vibrant and busy neighborhood. And so we almost doubled their width and completely revamped uh, the streetscape, the streetlights, the trees. Uh, we put the um, Rainbow Honor Walk in to honor our LGBT historical figures. Um, and uh, it, it was a really nice improvement to the neighborhood. Most definitely. Well, let's shift gears a bit and talk about the election and the new presidential administration. We have a new president who was sworn in last week, and there are some real threats uh, leveled at many LGBT civil rights that we've gained over the last eight years. And there is a tremendous amount of fear out in the community. What are the real threats to our gains that you see? Well, a a few. Uh, First, this Congress, you know, could do some radical things. And and fortunately, we still have enough Democratic senators to mount a filibuster. So I I think the, the one of one of the scariest things that this government could do would be to pass some sort of radical so-called religious freedom bill that wipes away civil rights protections for LGBT people by creating um, broad exemptions uh, so that people can uh, not comply with civil rights laws if they claim it would violate their religious faith. Um, I'm sure they would love to pass that, but they need 60 votes in the Senate to do it, so it seems unlikely. But that is something we should always be very wary of. Um, We should continue to be very wary of um, what's happening at the state level. Um, More and more states are considering very intensely anti-LGBT laws, whether it's wiping away civil rights protections, attacking transgender people, um, banning adoptions, whatever the case uh, may be, and we have to fight uh, those. Uh, The uh, Potential uh, repeal of the Affordable Care Act is a grave threat to our community. Our community suffers from significant health care disparities. Um, HIV, of course, uh, is still an epidemic, and people are still uh, at significant risk of illness and death. Uh, but there are other health problems that our community faces. And uh, if this Congress wipes away access to health care for tens of millions of Americans, that's going to disproportionately harm uh, the LGBT uh, community. There's also a vacancy on the Supreme Court because the Republicans just disgracefully refused to even give President Obama's nominee uh, a hearing, let alone a confirmation vote. If Donald Trump is able to put um, a radical right-wing um, zealot into that seat, uh, that would be very harmful to our community in terms of protecting our civil rights. And the Democrats need, in the Senate need to have a spine uh, in terms of how they address a crazy Supreme Court nominee if that's who Donald Trump nominates. Democrats have to be willing to filibuster uh, that nominee. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see who they put forward as a, a nominee, that's for sure. And I agree with you. I think the Religious Freedom Bill is definitely the greatest threat to some of the gains we've realized in civil rights over the last eight years. But we're pretty lucky. Uh, California already has a number of laws that prohibit discrimination against LGBT people. Talk about some of those. Well, we are very lucky in California. And and right now, the uh, Democrats, we we have a two-thirds majority in both houses of the legislature. Uh, We have the governorship. And in fact, uh, Democrats hold every single statewide office in California. Uh, we have both U.S. senators, a strong majority in terms of our House House delegation. Uh, so we, we are, um, and California voters 
uh, passed a number of very progressive uh, ballot measures uh, this past November, um, including cannabis legalization. Um, and so we're, we're in a good spot and we are um, committed in Sacramento. Uh, and I know this is true in San Francisco and in LA and locally in many areas. We're committed, uh, as the New York Times called it this morning, to being the, the California resistance um, and uh, really being that counterweight to the federal government. It's hard to be a counterweight to the federal government. It is the 800-pound gorilla, and it exercises incredible power. Uh, but we uh, need to, when they try to deport uh, immigrant communities, we need to protect our immigrant communities when they deny uh, climate change. We, we need, in California, to double down uh, in fighting climate change. Uh, when they try to strip people of health care, we need to expand health care access. Uh, when they try to um, undermine progressive water policy, we need to be even more aggressive in moving towards a water recycling future, a modernized water system. So there's a lot we can do in California. It's going to be hard, uh, but we have to be very strong. Mm-hmm. So what about the LGBT community? Should we all sit back and wait and see what happens? Or should we get involved and start supporting the many organizations that are out there looking out for our civil rights? Um, no, we, people should be extremely active. And, you know, I think the most important thing that people can do is to be active in their local communities and to make sure that our local institutions and community-based organizations are strong. Um, uh, so, you know, we, in San Francisco, for example, we have a great network of, of groups that support uh, immigrants. Uh, so as the federal government attacks immigrants, we need to be there for our immigrants. We have organizations that do a great job making sure that low-income people uh, aren't um, uh, going hungry. Uh, and uh, so as the federal government potentially retreats from the social safety net, uh, we need to make sure we're sticking up for our low-income uh, neighbors. Uh, we need to make sure that our LGBT organizations uh, are strong, from the human rights campaign up in Washington, D.C., down to our local organizations. So it's really important for people to be involved um, nationally, but also locally. Um, <clears throat> we also, uh, you know, we don't know what the political dynamic is going to be in 2018, but there will be... Uh, um, congressional elections, in particular Senate elections. And if the Republican Party uh, implodes, which never put that past them, they, they tend to overreach when they come into power, especially with this kind of president. We need to focus on uh, the competitive uh, Senate races uh, in 2018. So there's a lot that people can do, um, but I know it's frustrating for people, and especially when people are working, raising families, uh, it's hard to know how to make best use of your time. Yeah, no, but you make a good point. It's important to look at those national organizations like HRC and support them, even though they seem so distant and, and maybe not as visible here, as well as the local organizations. It's really important. And, and funding for uh, HIV support and other kinds of LGBT uh, activities is certainly going to be cut. We can expect that from the federal government. So dollars and time are important. Uh, let's shift back to you and your agenda. Talk about your goals for 2017. Well, um, we're uh, already off to a, a strong, fast uh, start. I, uh, my first bill that I introduced, it's uh, 
SB 35, Senate Bill 35, uh, which is a housing reform bill uh, to make it easier to create housing of all types uh, in California and to make sure that local communities are doing their share uh, in terms of adding housing. We have a housing shortage that's at the, at the heart of our housing crisis. Uh, and uh, all communities need to participate in uh, solving that problem. Um, my, I also introduced uh, a bill, SB 71, uh, which is a solar rooftop bill. It will require uh, that all new buildings up to 10 stories um, have solar panels installed. Uh, we need more clean energy in California, particularly in this day and age, uh, and <clears throat> this will help us get there. Um, yesterday, I announced legislation uh, to uh, make it easier for cannabis businesses to pay their taxes, their state taxes and fees. Um, right now, of course, we've legalized um, not just medicinal, but also uh, adult use uh, cannabis uh, in California. The voters did that last November. Uh, the problem is that these businesses, and this is a growing industry, they <clears throat> typically can't bank. They can't open bank accounts, have credit cards, write checks, wire money because of the federal ban on cannabis. And so they uh, have to often pay their taxes and fees in cash. Uh, and there might only be one location in the state or a few locations or the nearest location is hours and hours away. And so they literally have to drive around with like large amounts of cash in a suitcase, in the trunk. Uh, it's not safe, it's not professional, it's not appropriate. Uh, so uh, uh, I announced uh, legislation that will significantly increase the number of locations that can receive those tax payments because um, until we can convince the federal government to allow these businesses to open bank accounts, uh, let's make it as easy as possible for them to pay their taxes and fees uh, in cash. We're working on a number of LGBT-related bills uh, to help um, LGBT seniors and also long-term uh, HIV uh, survivors. Uh, so we, we have a lot going on, and I'm really excited about it. Fantastic. Well, you certainly haven't wasted any time. It's <clears throat> it's hardly the end of the first month, and you've already got a number of bills in the work, so good for you. How can people Thanks. stay connected with you and your work? Well, uh, my website is... Um, uh, scottweiner.com, I-B-4-E. Um, uh, I also have an official uh, Senate website, which is really easy to find uh, by Googling me. Um, I'm very active on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, um, Scott, you can get links to all of those social media at scottweiner.com. Fantastic. And we will have links to all of those on our own website at outbeatnews.com. We've been talking with newly elected Senator Scott Weiner. Scott, best wishes to you, and thanks for standing up for all of us here uh, locally here in the Bay Area. Thank you for having me. If you were like me after the presidential election this last fall, I just felt like I needed to be surrounded with others like me, perhaps to wallow in our common disappointment, but more for a sense of strength and community. Neil Broverman, who is the executive editor of The Advocate magazine, wrote about his experience and feeling the same way. He's with us tonight to share his thoughts on how to sort out all of the madness. Neil, welcome to Outbeat News In Depth. 
Well, you've been at the Advocate Magazine now for about 13 years and certainly have witnessed a lot of history transpire, including this last fall's election, which really rocked everybody's world. And you wrote an article about how it impacted you and a feeling that you had for really craving community, uh, wanting to be with other people like you. Talk about that. Well, you know, I, I felt let down, like so many people, especially LGBT people, um, the people that paid attention to the election, who saw Donald Trump demonize groups of people. Donald Trump ran such a divisive campaign and, and divided so many of us, turned so many people against other groups that it, it was very, it, was, it, was, it hurt when he won because it, it felt like he played into the most craven aspects of, of humanity, of, of uh, fear and uh, racism. And the fact that he won, it, it just it, it brought all of us down. And it went beyond whether we supported Hillary or whether we supported Bernie or whether we were Republicans or Democrats. It, it felt very dark, and it still does. Um, now we're kind of caught up in, in just dealing with the fallout. But in those days and weeks after the election, it was, you know, I didn't want to pay attention to the news. I didn't want to read it, but I had to because of my job. And I felt so let down by uh, the voters uh, that put him in in, in in the swing states. I mean, living in California, you, you, you know, I, I did feel very appreciative to be where I am because mm-hmm. we voted so overwhelmingly against Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it, it, it did not feel like a good time to be an American. And... I don't know many people, LGBT people or people of color, who did support Donald Trump. So I, I wanted to be around people who I knew did not support him. Uh, that meant going and spending time in LGBT spaces and being around LGBT people, being around women, being around uh, you know people of color. It, it wasn't. It, w- it was just a sort of a self segregation because I just. I didn't want to run the risk of interacting with someone who was gloating or happy about Donald Trump's victory. It was too much in those in those weeks uh, after the election. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's where I was. I mean, you know, I think we've we've all. It's been a, a process for all of us since the since the election. The sort of emotional roller coaster we we've been on. Right, right. But I think one of the things that's unique. And different this time, uh, perhaps from decades past, is that as a community, we're much more spread out now. Uh, a lot of the gay centers like the Castro are becoming much more mixed as uh, LGBT folks have been either forced out of housing or have chosen to leave to move out to the burbs. What are you seeing in L.A.? Is the West Hollywood community still tight or have people kind of spread out? And if so, where do they go? Yeah, I, I live in uh a part of the city called uh, Baldwin Hills uh, and sort of the mid-city part of Los Angeles. It's, it's certainly not a, a gay area, LGBT area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, we recently, my boyfriend and I recently moved from West Los Angeles, and we would often, I at least would often go to a bar in, in the Venice neighborhood called Roosterfish. It was really the only gay bar that we, we had on the west side, and it closed in the summer. And it's, 
it's been really hard. It was it was really hard when it closed because it it was a huge sense of community. It wasn't the kind of place where the the music was so loud you couldn't talk to anyone. It was a place where you went and you had conversations with people, you met people, you talked about life, you talked about politics, you talked about uh, living in L.A., everything. It it really was a gathering place. And I've heard people, you know, really mourn Rooster Fish's demise. Um, The rents just got too much. And, and, it, and it closed. And I actually heard someone, I went to a Christmas party, and someone said that since it closed, a lot of people, uh, sort of older and older gay crowd, maybe in their late 40s to 60s, uh, have, have actually moved um, since the closing. They've gone to Palm Springs, which is, has a very distinct um, gay community. Uh, and And... So that really, that made me sad to hear that, that Mm -hmm. people left. Um, But I can see why. I mean, people want to feel together, and especially now after the election. I mean, I think there is this desire to be around people that we know for certain have our back and and did not secretly vote against our interests or secretly harboring some prejudice. We we want to be certain, at least in our our daily lives, that we... um, have good people near us and like-minded people. So, um, yeah, in, in L.A., it's, it's, it's similar to, to San Francisco and, and New York. Um, West Hollywood is certainly a center of gay life, but it's, you know, it, it's changing. And uh, I'm hoping that these queer spaces can, can stay alive. Um, Actually, an interesting thing in, in Los Angeles is that three, I think at least three gay bars have opened in downtown L.A., which is going through its own sort of resurgence. So <laughs> it seems that it's not, the community is not entirely going away. It's maybe just shifting and moving in different places. So for those people who have moved out to the burbs, uh, what's your advice? What are some suggestions for finding community? Always, there's even even in the in the smaller places there there is community. I mean, we you know we cover pride festivities all over the country, and they and it's not just in San Francisco, New York. I mean, they have prides in in small towns and and uh, you know places you would never expect. Um, you know, Walla Walla and you know South Georgia, and you know there 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 are communities everywhere. We are everywhere. Um, and we have, you know, the, the Internet can be, uh, you know, a, a place that keeps us apart, but it can also be a tool to bring us together and that it's, we can find other people. Um, it's the question of making sure that you find those people and then you make time to see them offline. Um, you join a, you know, a gay softball league or a... Um, you know, a, a political salon where you get like-minded people in your area to campaign for the state senator or, you know, host a fundraiser for the U.S. representative. Uh, it, 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 it takes more effort, I think, because it's not right at your feet. You can't walk out to the Castro or Santa Monica Boulevard, but those people are there. We are everywhere. We are in every state in every city. So, you know, we can't use that as an excuse that, you know, I don't live in a neighborhood or a, or a metropolis. You, you really just have to dig around. And if 
you know, if you have to do the grunt work, if you have to be the person starting the fundraiser, then so be it. Um, I think we all need we all need our community and mm-hmm. more than ever. I completely agree. Well, one of the big challenges in this last election was all of the fictional news, all of the fake news that was circulated around uh, almost every issue. As a professional journalist, give our listeners some guidance on how to sort out fact from fiction in the media. Well, I always pay attention to publications that I uh, know and that um, I trust, um, and that includes, but the, it's, a, it's a kind of a small list. It's like the Washington Post, and it's um, the New York Times, and the Los Angeles Times, and um, Politico, um, which can be a little incendiary in their headlines, but they, but they don't usually make things up, or they don't make things up. Um, but if, if you see something that you, from a source that you have not heard of, um, you need to investigate. And we're not talking old-fashioned, you know, get on the phone or go to the library. You just have to Google it. Google the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page of the source to see if it's legitimate. Um, if you haven't heard about it and the headline seems questionable, it's your duty to check it before you share it or believe what's being said. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's safe to, to trust, you know, a handful of sources. I think that's, you know, you don't want to limit your vantage point, but, you know, find those sources that work for you that you, that you can trust. For me, it is those sort of mainstream sources that, that I just referenced. And, you know, I know that the right likes to say that the, the Washington Post and the New York Times are fake news. Well, they're not. Um, they have thousands of employees, and they just keep adding more. Um, there are checks and balances to their reporting. They, um, you know, regardless of who owns them, they, I know people at those publications, and they, um, have a respect for journalism, and they um, would not dishonor uh, their job and their position by making up fake stories. So, you know, if, if you aren't a Washington Post or New York Times uh, follower, then you have to find a source that works for you. I, I mean, MSNBC actually has some really great coverage. I mean, we all know Rachel Maddow is one of the smartest people out there, and she uh, covers a subject from beginning to end. She looks at the larger sort of um, analysis of, of, of these stories that are, are breaking every day. So um, I can't tell everyone where to get their news, but you can't be capricious about it. You can't just believe what's being said. We saw what that wrought this year. Um, and we also know that the Russians and other governments are sending us propaganda. So let's not feed into that. Let's not be willing victims of Vladimir Putin um, and, and, and be knowledgeable of what information we are, we're digesting. Well, you make several good points that I think are important to summarize here. One is that when you read something before you forward it and share it on your own social media platforms, that you should vet it. Mm-hmm. Uh, know where it comes from, because that was one of the other major problems, too, is that people continue to spread the lies uh, just by sharing on social media. And so that story was perpetuated over and over and over again, and that was problematic. We, we all have a responsibility now, as it, regardless of whether you work in the media or you work in, um, you have a public position. If you have a social media feed that people are following, you are an influencer. And that's 
it, we have to take that seriously. I, I, we, I mean, if it's a cat video, then it's a cat video. But if it's a story saying that Hillary Clinton is a convicted felon, then that's a big difference. So the stakes are higher now, and they, they're higher for all of us, and we just have to accept that reality. If you don't want to accept that reality, then don't forward stories um, or share or comment on Facebook or, or tweet. But we all, being living in 2017 and being on social media, we all have that responsibility now to be as accurate as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing that's important, too, in addition to looking at sources like the New York Times and Washington Post, are to find LGBT news sources like The Advocate magazine. You know, we should plug that great publication. It's been around for a half century, so it's very reliable, it's very stable, and you can trust the information that's coming there. We have on our website at OutbeatNews.com a whole series of links of the trusted news partners that we use to gather stories to share with you. Here in the Bay Area, the Bay Area Reporter is a great source for local news. So find those sources that have some integrity and some history that you can rely on. Neil, tell our listeners where they can go to follow you and keep up with your writing. Yeah, you can find my uh, work on Advocate.com, of course, and uh, my stories there. Uh, my Twitter handle is nbroverman, uh, and uh, I'm also a contributing editor at Los Angeles Magazine, so you can find some of my work there. Great. And if you missed those links, we'll have them on our own website at OutbeatNews.com. We've been talking with Neil Broverman, who is the executive editor for The Advocate magazine. Neil, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thanks so much for having me. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News In-Depth here on KRCB Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia. We're going to shift gears a bit for something a little bit lighter and a little more provocative. You know our next guest from his popular YouTube channel, Davey Wavy TV, and he's back on our show to share information about a new sexual health video series that he's been working on, and that's sure to take your mind off of the politics we've been hearing about. Davey, welcome back to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, when you were last on the show, you talked about uh, your YouTube channel. That's what we were discussing, and I remember you describing your goal with that channel was to provide some education in a very entertaining way. I mean, you were really trying to debunk some of the stereotypes around LGBT people. And I just saw this summer, I mean, you hit the million mark for subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> did you ever, I mean, did you imagine that that was going to happen? That's a lot of people that follow you. I know. Yeah. I try not to think about it because then, then I have to hold myself accountable to the content that I create. <laughs> That's a scary, scary thing. Um, it's always been a goal of mine to, to, I, well, first of all, I'll say I try not to get too caught up in the numbers. Um, I'm more interested in creating videos that I'm passionate about and that I'm excited about. Having said that, a million subscribers is a pretty big deal, and I was always excited about hitting that benchmark. And and on the back end of my channel, we can see all the analytics, and I think it's something like like 1,000 years of human life have been spent watching my videos. It's like some ridiculous, ridiculous <laughs> number. Um, <laughs> it's just... I mean, I'm still scratching my head and trying to figure it out, but um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It is. Uh, but I would also imagine that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Right. That's why I try not to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this new content you're creating is very different than what you've done to date. It's a, it's a departure from sort of the lighthearted and entertaining educational pieces that you've done. Tell us about your journey and how you got here. Yeah. Well, I mean... I mean, look, like my channel has always been the stuff that I'm passionate and interested in talking about. Um, and what I've never wanted to do is kind of get into a, um, a rut. 
And I think you see that with some of the channels on YouTube, especially that have been around for a while. It's kind of the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and the reality is like, like I've been doing this for nine years and I've grown and I've evolved and I've changed over those nine years. And, um, you know, because it's my channel, like I get to grow and evolve and change it in, um, along with me. Uh, and I think in the past when I dealt with sex, uh, and sexuality and it's, it's all kind of been very tongue in cheek and, and like silly and, uh, that I think felt good at the time, but you know, I'm in my early thirties now and I have a different relationship with, uh, with sex and, um, and I want to explore that. Uh, I think over the years, like in my twenties, I've always kind of known there was more and probably for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like opening that door and tiptoeing in to, to, to seeing what that's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm taking my audience, you know, with me, if, if, if they, you know, if they're so inspired to do so. Um, so it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely different. Uh, but for me, it's really interesting and, and it's not, it's not the same old, you know, it's, it's something very different. No, it really is. I mean, it's almost a whole new product. Um, and we're going to talk about all of that here in just a minute. But, uh, as I was listening to some of the audio interviews, it's pretty clear that you met someone who's really inspired you and maybe opened some doors for you, Ian Ellington. Tell me about him and how you met. Yeah, well, I actually met Ian years and years ago. Um, before I was doing YouTube, I used to build websites, and I and I built a website for Ian. And um, his the content that he creates has always kind of, like, even when I saw it, I wasn't quite ready for it, but it's always been really interesting. And as we started to tiptoe into this world, I reconnected with Ian and, um, he's a tantric coach and, uh, and he does a lot of this work. He does it with partners, like kind of one-on-one with, um, he does it in workshops. Um, you know, he writes, he's, he's been doing this for decades. He has, he has tons of experience. Um, and so I never wanted to present myself as like an expert in tantric sex cause I'm not. Um, but what we realized was we were going to need to collaborate with people who were really, uh, you know, that did have a lot of experience in the field and we could use their expertise and I'd kind of be a student and, and let them be the teacher and, uh, kind of hold the hand of my audience and, and kind of absorb some of this wisdom and information. Um, so we, we, we teamed up with Ian and we put together, um, a, a really cool product called unlocking your erotic body. And, uh, I know you were listening to it, but it's, it's, um, two videos and three audio guides, uh, that, um, especially for people who maybe are less familiar with like what Tantra is and what that means. Um, it's a really great way to get your feet wet and experience pleasure in a whole new way. Mm -hmm. And where did you first discover Tantra? Um, you know, I, I think I just always, uh, I think I'd like butt up against it in, in, in different moments. And, and, um, I would see an article here or there and, and wasn't quite ready for it until these last few years. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I'm still not really ready for it. Like it's still, it's still uncomfortable for me. Um, but in a way that, um, I feel like I'm growing and, and, um, uncomfortable in a good way. So, uh, so when you talk and, about uncomfortable, what is that? 
What does that look like? How is it uncomfortable yeah, and, for you? Uh, pretty much every way possible. Huh? I mean, there's so there's so much growing up as like a a Catholic schoolboy, right? Like I was basically taught anything that that brought pleasure to my body was a sin, was was a sin. Um, and then add to that the layer of of um, when I experience sex, I, I have sex with men, and that was even more sinful. And so I think for me, like there's a lot of layers of that onion to peel back. Um, even, you know, in Hawaii, we, we did a, uh, a retreat for, for Davy Wavy and for the work that I do, um, kind of brainstorming and putting together our mission statement. And we did it at a retreat place that has a clothing optional pool. And the guy who runs the retreat center said, if you can get naked at the pool, you, um, you release 2000 years of shame. And, uh, to me, like the idea of being naked in front of people, and it wasn't, you know, gay, I mean, it's like families, young kids, like, and, and most of the people at the pool were naked. And, and for me to kind of take my clothes off, like there was a lot of, uh, a lot of baggage that, that kind of comes with that. Um, and I mean, that's just one example of, of, of how, um, you know, the, the relationship that we have with our bodies and with pleasure, it, it's, it's really complicated for a lot of us mm-hmm. and, and not always easy. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, what's the magic in the decade of being in your thirties? You mentioned that that was, has been sort of a turning point for you. How is it different from being in your twenties? Yeah. Well, I think in, in, in my twenties, I was just like, okay, great. You know, let's have sex. This is fun. This is exciting. You know, hook up, uh, which, which I still do, you know, it's, but um, it was always very kind of like superficial. And I think at a certain point, I think a lot of us have a moment where we're like, okay, there's, there's gotta be more to this, right? Like, like, is this really all that there is or, or is there, is there an opportunity here to explore something deeper? Um, and I think that's kind of when the door started to, to open for me. Um, I was having a lot of sex, but not a lot of connection, not a lot of like connected sex. And, uh, and, 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 and I still think there is a time and a place for that. And that can still be really hot, but it's also nice to be able to explore, um, you know, real connection with, with, with someone else, even if it is just a hookup. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're focused on in, in creating, creating this product. Hmm. So for you talk about some of the specific things that you've learned, you, you describe yourself as a student, uh, in your work. In your experience, because you've immersed yourself in this, you're not behind the cameras uh, in the videos. You're you're in, you're deeply involved in it, and it and it really looks like a very personal. You're sharing a very personal experience. People are watching now and hearing as you're learning as a student. What are some of the top things that most important things that you've learned about yourself and about this experience? First of all, yeah, I am in the videos, uh, and that was a decision we made because it was like, look, like if I'm going to do this in an unapologetic way, then there's there's um, it's a little disingenuous for me to have models in the video, but to not include myself. Um, so you know, we did hire adult models for it. There's a lot of nudity <laughs> in the videos, um, and uh, I don't get naked, but I am there and present. Um, I had it explained to me. Uh, by a different tantric coach that we were working with, um, that yoga, for example, gets to truth through movement or like Zen Buddhism gets to truth through meditation. 
Uh, but Tantra gets to truth through sexual energy. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, I would much rather get to truth through sexual energy than, than through meditating or, or through yoga. Mm-hmm. That's a much more interesting path for me. Um, and we've been doing, you know, there's a new program that's going to be coming out and um, it's called Igniting Your Sexual Power. And we had this exercise in it that like, it's, it's so simple. I mean, you just sit there with a partner, uh, you face each other, you could do this with a hookup or you could do this with a you know, partner of, of many years. And you look into each other's eyes and you ask that person for something that you really, really want them to do. Uh, and, you know, it could be as simple as a kiss, but it's really the idea is to really kind of go deeper than that. And, and, and um, asking for what you want in sex is really a metaphor for asking uh, for what you want in life. And we often don't do that. So you really kind of go inside yourself and ask for what you want. And then the person that you, that you make the request to, they then in turn have to go inside themselves and think, is this something that I want to provide? And if it is, then they do it. And if it's not, then they provide some sort of alternative because your yes is only as, as strong in a way as, as your no is. Um, and uh, so, you know, I want you to um, do X, Y, and Z. And then the person says, okay, yeah. And then, and then they do it. Um, and you go back and forth, you take turns. You could do it for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And um, so we, we, that was one of the, the videos that we filmed for this new product. Uh, and I did it with, with um, this really beautiful model, Chris Harder. So it was really easy to ask for things that I, <laughs> that I wanted. Um, but it was such a cool exercise and such a different approach to, you know, sex or to connecting with someone. And we also filmed this really beautiful undressing sequence, which took about 30 minutes. In editing, I think we got it down to like 10, uh, 10 or 12 minutes. But to actually spend 30 minutes undressing your partner um, is is something that I think a lot of us uh, have probably have never done. You know, it's usually if it's your partner or hookup, you kind of just take your clothes off and you go at it. But to really almost honor your partner like a god and to, you know, slowly and meticulously unbutton their shirt, fold it, stare into their eyes, you know, touch their feet, uh, bow in front of them, um, you know, give them pleasure as you're sliding their jeans down. I mean, it's really, really hot, beautiful stuff. Um, and, and it's, for me, it's just a whole, whole new way of, of, you know, experiencing, um, sex or connection with someone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you talked about the discomfort you had in being at that resort, um, now you're on camera with a million followers, uh, working with these models. How have you noticed a change in yourself? You know, you're a very confident guy. I think at least you, you'll portray yourself as a very confident guy already. Um, has this experience bolstered your internal confidence even more? Um, I think it's a work in progress. Uh, it, it's it's funny because people often clock me for working with so many adult models in, in my content. But I actually think there's something tremendous that, that the rest of us can learn from um, the relationship that, that these guys have with nudity and with their bodies and how, um, how little shame they feel. 
because for me to do even what I do in the videos, which is, you know, I'm not naked, um, but to even participate is so far outside my comfort zone and that a lot of these guys can so effortlessly just, you know, move into that space. And, um, I, I think is, is, I think it's, it's, um, incredible. And, and, and for me to, to see that and to work with them, I think is, it's, it, it gives me power in a way. Like I can kind of, um, it's empowering to watch. Mm-hmm. So, um, hopefully I'll, I'll through osmosis kind of <laughs> gain some of that. I don't know. Um, but it's been a pretty incredible experience. I don't know how far along the, the continuum I've moved, but I think this work takes a long time. Sure. And, and, you know, again, I think it's even more interesting um, and challenging, you know, to take us all on that journey with you. Because uh, you, you're, you're basically inviting us into the most private moments that you're experiencing as well. Yeah, it's funny because I was, I was recently talking to a friend about, uh, there's a lot of people on YouTube who make videos about their relationships and, and I was like, oh, man, that's so personal. Like, can you imagine talking about your relationship on camera and showing those intimate moments? And she looked at me and she was like, you make videos about masturbating. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, OK, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, <laughs> so so, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, but it also feels like it's really important work. And I feel like now more than ever, especially with, you know, the election and, and, um, I just think to, to feel, um, support and connection with other gay men is something that we all could really use. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean, there really is a very important, um, mental health aspect to this time. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time on Outbeat Radio talking about, you know, all the fallout from the election and what does this all mean and trying to, teach people how to wade through the volumes of information and misinformation that are out there. But, you know, I think it's important that people take time to take care of their own mental health uh, because this can be a really overwhelming feeling. It's important to to check in with yourself. And um, I think, you know, with the election, a lot of us are, are scared and rightfully so. Um, But I also try to, to remind myself and, and to my audience, some of whom are, are much younger and haven't lived through things like Proposition 8 or, you know, certainly like you know, the, the Stonewall riots, right? Like that, that we have throughout history faced challenges and, um, and, and we lean on each other for support and um, we get through it. You know, the arc of history has its little, it's, it's bumps and this is one of them. Um, but, uh, you know, we will get through it and, and, um, we will come out the other side. Mm -hmm. We always do. Mm -hmm. So I try to remind myself that. Good. No, that's, it's important. Where do you see all this going for you? I mean, you have, you have Davey Wavy TV. Is this going to be a new branch for you? And do you see it expanding into where your focus is going to be? Or do you intend on keeping up sort of both? both projects? So we create, you know, uh, I guess friendlier content for, for, um, I guess more brand safe content for YouTube and for Facebook, um, and, and telling the stories of, of, um, that we think are worth sharing. Um, and I'm going to continue to do that, but, um, I think in kind of serving this community of gay men, um, 
like obviously I'm very interested in in uh, the sex aspect of that. Um, we certainly have bumped up against kind of the limitations of what you can put on YouTube. Um, and when we when we first started getting into this world, we're like, look, like are we gonna are we gonna sugarcoat this? Like, or are we gonna show like full on nudity? Are we gonna show men having sex with men? Um, and then how are we gonna do that? And 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 you know, the answer for us was yes. Like, let's do it. Like, let's go, let's go full tilt boogie with this. Um, but that means, you know, distributing this content off of YouTube. Um, so, so like the program, you know, that we've been discussing is something that people can, can download. And I think eventually it'd be nice to have a place where all this can live, um, and people can access it and, um, really see, you know, unapologetic, you know, full on gorgeous content. Uh, in a way that they've never seen it before. So that's, 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 I think where we're going with it. It'll be exciting to see what you come up with. Talk about where people can go first to learn about and see Davy Wavy TV. I can't imagine that there are any of our listeners who don't know who you are, but right. where can they go if they have not watched your videos for yet? Yeah. Well, I mean, just go onto YouTube and type in Davey Wavy, D-A-V-E-Y-W-A-V-E-Y, and you will see a full spectrum of, of content on YouTube. And, and there is some of this tantric stuff that we, we um, some of it does work on, on the platform um, and we're able to show it. But the really juicy stuff is uh, on, it's, you have to go to DaveyWavy.tv forward slash erotic body, all one word. Um, and that's, that's the really good stuff. The really good stuff. The top shelf stuff. <laughs> that top shelf. I love it. And if you miss those websites, we'll have them on our own website at outbeatnews.com. You can just go and click show notes at the top of the page, and we'll have links to all of Davey's new exciting content. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Good luck with this yeah. new venture, and we look forward to checking in in the future to see where it all goes and and what more you've learned about yourself. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end of our hour. Join me and the entire Outbeat Radio team for an Outbeat Extra next Sunday night. We'll be continuing tonight's discussion about this post-election period and what we should all be doing as a community to protect our civil rights. That's next Sunday night at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our shows are available for on-demand play from iTunes, Google Music, and TuneIn. Get links and sign up for email notifications when new shows become available on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all week long.